I opened the door to the bedroom, and there it was, lying on the floor. It took, it took a little bit for my brain to adjust to what I was seeing. It was like a, a giant had walked into the room and just left his legs there. There's no head, no neck, no torso, no arms, no hands. There weren't even feet to this thing. Well, a few weeks ago, before I even get there, my wife was sitting there looking at me, looking back at the thing. A few weeks ago, we got back from a trip, a long trip out Midwest, and, and I had to play a little bit of catch-up to work on the mountain of work that uh, had left me behind. So I was gone a few more nights than I normally was. Anyway, so we got home, I got home, and I, that's where I found the thing. And then suddenly it hit me what it was. It was, a, it was a pregnancy pillow, a giant pregnancy pillow, way bigger than the last one. And the thought struck me. And I looked at my wife and I said, you're trying to replace me with something taller and more attractive than I am, aren't you? She paused for a second and looked back and said, I'm thinking about drawing a smiley face on it. <laughs> well, if you are joining us for the first time, uh, over the past few weeks, we have been entering into our new series called For the Good of Your Soul. For the Good of Your Soul, which is a, a nice, a little bit more of an easygoing sermon series after we spent a couple months in the challenging book of Revelation. For the Good of Your Soul. Last week, we learned that sometimes one of the most spiritual things that you can do is to take a nap. Now, often when we go into these sermon series, we spend some time in the spiritual disciplines, but we decided to take a little bit of a different twist and look at some of the uh, unsung heroes or the uh, unspoken of, uh, I guess you could call them disciplines or practices that help uh, bring us comfort and encouragement and, and rejuvenate our soul uh, during difficult times. Um, and uh, I put up a prompt out in the hallway. I asked, what's one of the most restful things that you are looking forward to doing this summer? And uh, everybody answered, sleep. So based upon that response, I I'm guessing that you took well to the sermon last week. One of the most spiritual things that we can do sometimes is just to, just to take a nap. What about things like uh, pregnancy pillows? Or ice cream. What about things like that? Is that even something that you could talk about in a sermon? Well, chances are you've bought something in your life that you have regretted. Uh, maybe it was uh, one of those outdoor pools you were just sure the kids were going to use all summer long. Or maybe it was a pair of shoes that you just had to find the perfect dress for that never got worn anyways. What's that someday thing that you recently discovered in your junk drawer or deep into one of your closets that you have been tempted to throw away, but you just haven't gotten the guts to do so yet? What is that thing? Buyer's remorse, guilt. Uh, we're not only aware of how easy it is to waste money, we're becoming more and more aware of how, what kind of effect uh, overindulgence has on the world as well. 
And it's not just the the guilt of the unnecessary or having too many things. Just as dangerous is the temptation to love some of our things too much. Maybe some of you here have spent a, a, a day playing, an entire day feeling playing video games and have wondered if that, that time-consuming practice is really something that feeds your soul. What's something in your life that, that's physical that just ties you up emotionally? That ties you up emotionally. Now, there's nothing wrong with comfort, and there's nothing wrong with food, but when we put those two words together, it can be a negative thing. When we originally slated this uh, sermon uh, for the series, they put the title on it, Ice Cream is Good for the Soul. And John Kim in Lexington is preaching the same, not the same message, but his own version of this message with that title too. John Kim is lactose intolerant. (laughs) And do I really need to be preaching a message about ice cream? But here we are. Here we are. No wonder the spiritual and physical have such an uneasy relationship. Materialism can be destructive to us and others. And stuff can make us slaves. Pleasures can be dangerous. It's hard to blame those spiritual seekers who are looking for some kind of out of body experience because of this. And it's not hard to understand because of this why Christians for centuries have had this myth that the final experience of the life beyond is, a, is an experience that is bodiless, which is not actually what the Bible teaches a bodiless experience. But ice cream tastes so good, doesn't it? And when you find the perfect pillow, it's like a revelation. How do we navigate the tension? How can material pleasures be any spiritual good? How can material pleasures be any spiritual good? Well, we aren't the first to ask a question like this. 3,000 years ago, there was a king who, who brought so much wealth to his nation that the nation had never seen such wealth before. Yet earlier in his life, he was being hunted, and he was resting his head in caves. This is something that David knew. David knew what it was like to be wealthy. He knew what it was like to struggle. But God protected him, even back then. In fact, living on the edge uh, with much at stake made him rely on God even more. So what did it look like to live spiritually in a time of abundance and plenty? In the 16th Psalm, which is what we're going to look at today, David is going to shed some light on that. The Psalm starts out with this. Verse 1, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their name on my lips. Keep me safe, 
my God, for in you I take refuge. Even in safety and security, David knew how tenuous safety and security could be. And that's not lost on us either. Chances are, chances are that you know someone whose life was changed by some violent act. Chances are that uh, some of you here have received news from the doctor um, that changed your life, or you know somebody who received news that set their future on a much different course. It's almost impossible to imagine a future without a child, a sibling, or a parent until something like that actually happens. And something like that happens, doesn't it? Even with a gift of modern technology, we are still susceptible to sickness and decay. You know what happens when people feel powerless in situations like those? They turn to other remedies. And that's what David is pointing out here. He's looking at some respected Israelites in the community, business leaders, people who were high up in power, who were faced with difficult decisions, were put into difficult circumstances, and all of a sudden they decided to turn to other gods for answers. They turned to other gods for answers. And to appease those gods, they were pouring out blood offerings. David's response is to say, I will stick with God. Look how he continues. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Did you notice how in contrast with the cup of libations, David calls God his cup. God is his cup, his source of satisfaction. Well, David is going to spell that out a little bit more and tell us why. Why is God the source of his satisfaction? God is the source of his satisfaction because he has placed boundaries around pleasant places. The land that David has inherited is pleasant, it's good, it's pleasing. We'll talk more about that word pleasant in a little bit. But even more than that, even more than that, God has given David wisdom, the path of life, precepts that are good for navigating relationships and navigating the times that we live in. And lastly, God has also given him security and safety. He says this, With him at, at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Well, in the last three verses of this psalm, we're going to see those three themes appear in reverse order. But before we go there, I just want to pause for a minute because... What we're about to read doesn't just have implications for David's life. It has implications for all of history. So I want to explore something a little bit theological with you for just a moment. At my house, we love surprises. We love surprises. And we look forward to Christmas. I should say the kids really look forward to Christmas. Uh, so I would say probably last year, about June, they were asking what they were going to get for Christmas. What are we going to get for Christmas? Well, it's a surprise. It's a surprise. Yeah, 
But what is the surprise? <laughs> That's the point of a surprise. We don't tell you. Strange looks were returned. What? Huh? They don't get it. Well, God loves a surprise too. God loves a surprise too. And there's a term that I'm going to share with you, and it's called progressive revelation. It's a term that you can use to impress all of your friends at work, or you could share with them if you don't want them to ever talk with you again. Either or. Probably the latter is, uh, is more likely. Progressive revelation. And in a nutshell, progressive revelation is God's big story as it slowly is being revealed over time. It's, it's like a good mystery novel when we... We get pieces of the story, uh, pieces of the puzzle at the beginning, and we don't really know how they all fit together. But as time passes, we see them all kind of coalescing into the big point. And we have that aha moment at the very end. That aha moment, at least in, in this time of history, was when Jesus was raised from the dead. That was the aha moment that brought everything together. Ancient Israelites prophesied way before Jesus. Uh, they foreshadowed these, these events and these things that would come together to, to picture who Jesus was and what kind of Messiah the Israelites could expect at the time. But even more than that, sometimes some of the ancient prophets, like what we find here in Psalm 16, they just spoke of events that were around them, but God mysteriously worked his way in the language through the Holy Spirit to foreshadow and to create a picture of something even bigger to come. Even bigger to come. Uh, see how David continues, and we'll see an example of that. Therefore, my heart, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful, faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Well, David would see decay. His body would be put in the ground. He would die. And in ancient Israel, going all the way back to the time of Abraham, some of the, some of the ancient Israelites and the heroes of the faith, they, when they looked forward to death after a long life, they looked forward to it as a positive thing where their soul would rest. But they only had a part of the puzzle. They only had a piece of it. Not all of the pieces had come together and coalesced into what, what was going to be a resurrected body, a life in a body, a life enjoyed in a body that God had planned for them. The pieces weren't fully there yet. But as God opened the curtain through the centuries, the vision became clearer. And some of Jesus' most prominent and famous followers, like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, they looked to this very verse in Psalm 16, and they said, Look, here it is, a picture of what we were talking about all along. In those days, many of the Jews believed that on the fourth day after a body died, decay would set in. The body would start to crumble away. 
So how in the world does a body die? How is it not abandoned to death? And how on the fourth day does it not see decay? It has to be raised on the third day. It has to be raised on the third day. So when the Apostles Peter and the Apostles Paul looked back at this text, they saw a picture that foreshadowed, that created some hints and some anticipation for one of the greatest moments in history and a promise for what's to come for us too. So Psalm 16 mysteriously and powerfully sets the stage for the most important moment in history. But Psalm 16 also had a message for those who read David, who read David's words in his time too. Did you notice how it ends with eternal pleasures at his right hand? Eternal pleasures is at his right hand. Now, chances are the word eternal, which is translated in the NIV, which we just read, uh, is rendered that way because of the prophecy about Jesus. But it's used about 40 other times in the Old Testament. And when it's used, it's almost always talking about duration, something that's long-lasting. And at least for David's first hearers, they probably pictured earthly goods and earthly pleasures that, that endured, that lasted, that meant something, that added value to their lives in the moments. Let's not overlook the word pleasures here either. Of all the, of all the times that that word appears... In the Old Testament, it only appears twice in the same passage, and, it, and that passage is this passage. Pleasant places, and here pleasures at the very end. So it's a very prominent theme in Psalm 16. It's a word of beauty. In the Old Testament, it refers to musical instruments. Musical instruments in Psalm 81, 2. It also refers to sayings of wise people. Sayings of wise people in Proverbs 22.18. It can refer to compliments. It can also refer to a charming husband. In the book of Song of Solomon, it refers to a charming husband. Wives, do you remember when your husbands used to be charming? <laughs> charming husbands. And lastly, it... It also refers to the sound of voices singing praise to God twice in the book of Psalms. The sound of voices singing praise to God. Uh, that last one is why music matters to us here at Christ Church. Music matters to us. And, and we consider ourselves blessed to have a, a skilled worship director and an excellent worship team for a church our size. That, that's because singing voices are pleasant. They're pleasant, not only to God, but He invites us to enjoy Him and experience Him in the singing of praises. And corporately, wow, it's such a beautiful thing. But here's the point. Here's the point. Pleasures are not bad things. In fact, things like ice cream and pillows and Air conditioning can all be considered gifts from God. All of them. I was substitute teaching a geography class, and they were writing a paper, so I made my way to the back of the room and started staring at this map of the United States. 
a young man finished his paper early, so he joined me up there, and he started pointing at the places that he'd been. I'd been here, here, here. And so I joined him. I started pointing at the places that I've been, and he said, wow, you've almost been to all of them. And I thought, huh, I guess I have almost been to all of them. Uh, a friend and I, or a few friends and I, every summer would take a trip to somewhere far away in the United States and, and beautiful. We usually tried to find some natural wonders to go visit. So we, we saw Mount St. Helens in Washington and uh, Venice Beach in California, the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. We traveled all over in the course of a few years to experience as much of it as we could. I also wanted to see some of the man-made stuff. Uh, have you ever seen the troll under the bridge in Portland, Oregon? It's weird, but, you know, uh, Portland, I guess. <laughs> Anybody from Portland? <laughs> no, it's, it was fun. It's interesting. All sorts of amazing things out there. Now, my friend was more naturally inclined. It's, he had more of a natural preference. So sometimes I would have to drag him along to some of these um, man-made uh, attractions. And that was as hard as ever once we finally made our way out to the Big Apple and I wanted to go see Times Square, you know, the place where we where we've all seen in the movies. Hey, we've got to go to Times Square if we're going to be here. And uh, it was a chore to bring him there, but we finally got there and were flooded with all of the lights. We were bombarded by the advertisements of all the skyscraper building-sized screens that we saw. And uh, my friend was less than thrilled, I guess you could say. But I still remember the moment that that, that changed. And I said, I, you know, I get it. Uh, this could all be perceived as a giant advertising ploy, and it probably is. Probably is. Uh, and it really does not hold a candle to the Grand Canyon. It doesn't. But isn't it amazing that God allowed us to make things like that? this. Isn't that amazing? And something changed in my friend. I could see it in his eyes. It wasn't as if he transitioned all of a sudden to awe and wonder. No, that wasn't it. But the look in his eyes told me that he appreciated it. He appreciated it. Because even if we can spoil things and we can mess things up and it's not as perfect as what God would do. He has created us to create things. And that's good. And that's powerful. And that's true. Good, powerful, and true. Did the beginning of the psalm in verse 2 pop out to you when David says to the Lord, Apart from you, I have no good thing. 1,000 years later, James, the brother of Jesus, is going to put that positively by saying this, every good and perfect gift is from above. Now, not everything in this world is good. You know what poison ivy is? Some things like ice cream are only good in certain proportions. When we hoard or when we have too much, we become slaves to those things, and we, we rob ourselves of we rob ourselves of the gift of generosity and the experience of generosity. However, things like safety and guidance and yes, everyday 
common pleasures are gifts from God when we see our generous God through them. I shared this before, but it just feels worth repeating in this context. Something that I I so dearly value about my mother-in-law is that when some people see a, a colorful, beautiful, pretty bird, she sees a beautiful God. And I love the way that she, she, she expresses that to our kids. Isn't God so creative? She'll ask when she sees a cardinal or a yellow finch float up to the bird feeder. And I love that simple question because it, it just confronts our worldview and it makes us look at everything in a different way. It makes us engage everything that we're doing in a different way. It invites us to see it invites us to see bigger and, and more beautiful things. Uh, many have these moments in our lives that are, are worth writing about. Uh, moments such as seeing a loved one healed after a, a long fight with a, a disease. Or, or seeing a check come in that was a perfect match for the bill that we didn't know how we were going to pay. Or, or maybe it's seeing a, a spouse change. Uh, when we, we thought our marriage was at its very end. Many of us have had those experiences before. And in, in the scriptures, they're called Ebenezer's, rocks for remembering. Rocks for remembering the times that God showed up and helped us in a big way. But for those of us who have, have not had those experiences, we don't feel like we've had those experiences. Or for those of us who, who feel like we've had very few of them, Could God be present in the little things, in the common things, in the appearance of a a colorful bird on a gloomy day, or in the freedom to take a walk in nature when so many people are homebound, or in the ability to take your family out every once in a while for ice cream when things are otherwise really tight at home? David's answer was this, Apart from you, Lord, I have no good thing. Or, put another way, everything good I have is from you. David's answer was an undeniable yes. Enjoying common pleasures is divine blessings. Helps us stay connected to an uncommon God. Enjoying common pleasures is divine blessings. Helps us stay connected to an uncommon God. God. And guess what? In a few moments, we're going to take an opportunity to practice that. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Before we go there, we're going to spend a few more minutes talking about just a few ways, three ways that we can make this, this principle, this idea practical and meaningful to all of our lives. First of all, let's liberate praise from Sunday only. Let's liberate praise from Sunday only. We just looked at a few verses about, about experiencing the beauty of God through singing God's praises. And what a privilege it is to do that. What a privilege it is to gather together once a week and hear so many voices lifted up to the Lord. It's, it's energizing. It's life-giving. Worship has also become so associated with singing songs of praise only that we miss moments where common goodness 
could offer opportunities for praise, both spoken and expressed within. The more we see God in the common, the more it will change our perspective of the world, and the more it will it'll give us the ability to endure the world's broken parts. Everyday praise for common things cultivates a, a deeper, more resilient connection to God. Liberate praise from Sunday only. Second, use praise as a tool to navigate the difficult world of pleasure. Use praise to navigate the difficult world of pleasure. One of Jesus' most prominent disciples or followers, the Apostle Paul, wrote in in his letter to the Corinthians uh, this very famous verse. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink... Or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. It's an often quoted verse, and it's both inspiring and it's affirming. But what people often miss about this verse when it's situated in the context is that it's a litmus test. It's a measuring stick to tell us how we should navigate some confusing situations that we face in life. And we all face these confusing situations, don't we? Should I eat? Should I do this? Should I attend that? Now, caveat here, important aside, uh, Paul wasn't saying that this is the only way to answer those questions. Certainly, the conscience can be seared and the conscience can misunderstand things, making this not a foolproof method. But, But for Paul, it was still important to ask the question, if I do this, will I glorify God? Will I bring him praise in doing it? If I spend 12 hours on a Saturday playing Call of Duty, will I feel like at the end I have brought glory and praise to God through that? If I eat a whole gallon of ice cream by myself, will I feel like I have given God glory and praise, that I have honored him in that? That simple verse isn't just a statement about what we do or who we are or how we think. It's an invitation to think about what we should do how we should do it, when we should do it, and the kind of people that we could be. If your heart says yes when you've asked that question, that may be a green light. If your heart says no, perhaps it's an invitation to enjoy things in a little bit more moderation or to find something different. Lastly, let someone else join you in your joy over common things. Now, as an introvert, I love to enjoy things in my private space. (laughs) It brings me energy. At the same time, how powerful it is to bring other people into our common joys. And, And that practice alone can help actually connect people to God. 15 hours, 15 hours I was on customer service. It was awful. It's a story for another time, but uh, a year ago I was having problems with uh, this this automatic timer for my hoses, and I decided I'm going to spend a little bit more money so I don't have to have these kind of problems anymore and get something nice. And I did that, hoping that this was going to solve all my problems, and it didn't. So I was on customer service trying to work out the warranty. There are no instruction manuals online to how to fix these things. I looked everywhere. 
And it took me 15 hours to finally get uh, replacements for them. And they came in eventually. And, and, and then I was left with a question. What do I do with the old ones? To throw them in the trash or not to throw them in the trash? That's the question. But my curiosity got the better of me. Now, I am not an electrician, but I have watched five or six videos on YouTube <laughs> about how electricity works. So I found a flathead screwdriver. I'm telling you, no manuals. And I tried to find, is there any crevice I could just jam this thing into to see if I can open it up? And I found one. And I opened it up, and I was amazed. It was just it was remarkably simple. Now, now, maybe you don't remember this that much from uh, your electricity class in high school or whatever it was, but all I, I found there, this, this cylinder, it was a plastic cylinder, and wrapped around it was a copper coil, and inside the plastic cylinder there was a, a metal bullet. I'll call it a bullet because I don't know what it's really called. And what it was, it, it was an electromagnet. When you power that thing up and... The flow of electrons starts to happen around that coil. Uh, it creates this magnet that pulls that little metal bullet back into the hole and allows the water to flow. It was as simple as that. And here I was with all these copper coils around, putting the batteries back in, turning it on, having the time of my life. And I thought, you know what? My kids are a little bit young, but I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to take this opportunity to show them what it looks like. So I showed them, and I tried to explain a little bit, what little bit I knew about how electricity works. And, and then I, I hit the button, and the little bullet just snapped right into its hole, and we all started laughing. We all started laughing. There it was. This is how, this is how mechanical electricity works. That's, I know that's not even the term. Somebody's going to, don't email me, please. <laughs> this is how electricity powers a mechanical thing. Isn't it so cool that God would allow us to use what he has created, to use what he has created to, to make things that are interesting and useful for ourselves? When we share the pleasures God has given us, we multiply those pleasures and we give him glory. We multiply those pleasures and we give him glory. So what's something good in your life right now? If I asked you after service, what's something really exciting that you're looking forward to or what's something great that's happened recently? Chances are, if you're like me, you might flounder a little bit. It might catch you a little bit off guard. You'd have to think for a while. But what if instead of that, I just asked you, what is just something good in your life right now? Maybe your answer would be as simple as ice cream. Maybe it would be as simple as ice cream. And lucky for you, because hey, this uh, may be a common Sunday on the surface, and you maybe, maybe you won't remember anything that I have said today, but chances are you're going to remember what's going to happen after service, because today we're going to practice what we preached, and we're going to serve ice cream from our kitchen window today, so that you can give glory to God by doing the simple things, in and through the simple things. But remember, and this is important, as we partake, as we practice, let's remember that, that the only reason things like ice cream are good is because God is good, and he generously 
offers us opportunities to see him work. Let's pray. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so many big things in our lives to be thankful for. Even if we can't spot the big things in our lives, certainly the biggest thing is the cross. It's always before us. But you invite us to experience you in in deeper ways and in ways all around us by being thankful, by praising you for the simple things that we do that we so often take for granted. So I pray, God, that as you open up our hearts, you'd start with me. And that you'd open up my heart and all my friends' hearts to the joys that you give us so that we can see you, so that we can have more abundant and full lives because of everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.